0: Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. I'm Matt Till, lead pastor of Restoration Church in Chicago, Illinois, and today I'm being joined by Andrew Johnson, associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas. And Andrew and I have a special guest with us. This is Dave Carter, and uh, he is coming to us live from all the way from Chad. Dave, it's good for you to be with us today. Hey, it's great to be here with you guys. Uh, Dave, uh, so just for our our listening audience, uh, we're doing this by audio only. So if you are part of the ephesiology um, uh, family and you're part of our community online at ephesiology.com, normally you'd be able to get a video portion of our podcast, but just due to technical limitations, uh, we are only on audio today and uh, Michael is out someplace around the world. And so we've taken this opportunity. To have a conversation with Dave, so Dave, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and your family and the work you are doing in Chad.
1: Well, I'm married. I have uh, we have three kids. Um, my oldest son is 13 years old today, and he um, and the other two as well have grown up in Chad um, for almost all of their lives. Um, we're here in uh, with an organization that uh, our mission is to is to plant churches among unreached people groups and uh, so we've been in Chad for uh, about 11 years Um, my wife and I Rachel and I we actually met in the Middle East uh, learning Arabic there and we spent um, over a year learning French and um, so we've been here for for that amount of time Uh, and part of what we do is uh, support existing teams um, as they are engaging the unreached and um getting the gospel out both in word and in deed and then we're also um church planters ourselves and so that's uh working to to see people come to the lord among uh muslims particularly here in chad as uh there are just a gazillion um unreached people groups here uh, almost all of which are muslim so we uh, wear a couple of hats but um yeah we try to to really just Keep our, um, keep our hands dirty, so to speak, and um, and continue to, to work with the loss. So that's kind of kind of it in a nutshell.
2: Dave, could you
0: kind of, just for our, our audience too, just kind of give us a little bit more of the complexities to Chad. Um, you mentioned uh, there's a multiple unreached people groups. Is it tribal region? What's the predominant uh, faith base? Um, and just some of the challenges that you face on a regular basis in sharing the gospel.
1: Sure. So Chad is about three times the size of California. About a third of it is desert. About a third of it is a, a place where it gets rained about six months of the year. And then about a third of it in the middle uh, where we live gets rain about three months a year. It looks like desert. Uh, it's only has a population of 14 million people, but it's got 150 different people groups, which means each of those people groups has its own language. Uh, and Of those tribes, you've probably got about 80 that are still unreached with the gospel. Uh, The first missionaries came to Chad less than 100 years ago, so um, those went to the south that were uh, predominantly pagan. There are still lots of pagan uh, pagans in Chad today. There are maybe about 10% evangelicals, a higher percentage Catholic, and then about 60% of the population that is that's Muslim, and the vast majority of those Muslims are. Um, it's called Tajani Islam, which is a sect of Sufism, and it's really kind of, um, a brand of Islam that's helped them kind of incorporate traditional, um, animistic practices into the faith. Um, on top of that, Chad, is just because it's such a huge country, I like to think of it kind of like all those islands in Papua New Guinea, but instead of being, these tribes being separated by, uh, water, they're just separated by kind of the bush, desert, whatever it is. So... Um, you've got a lot of, you have several tribes that have just never had any missionaries work among them, uh, in part because it's such a hard place to live. It's really hot. Um, if you get outside of the capital, even in the capital, you need solar power. So there are a lot, lots of logistical aspects that are, um, kind of daunting. And I would say really the only thing going for it is that it's a wide open door. We get missionary visas. So that's, that's the easy part.
2: Mm. Wow, seems like you have uh, one massive positive, and then a hill of challenges. So that's incredible. So is I, I guess I have other things I want to
1: ask you, but we'll just. Why did you want to be in Chad? <laughs> it's funny, Andrew. I actually I didn't really want to. I I heard about it when I was in language school in the Middle East, and I just had a burden. I wanted to go, and this is you know a twenty-three-year-old young guy this is you know how you think i want to go to the hardest place where people don't want to go give me the challenge yeah you know um fair amount of hubris in that with along you know with the desire for the lord's glory there um and in the 11th hour this uh this lady told me about chad and so uh my best friend that i actually went to elementary middle school high school and college with uh, and then to the field with, told him about it. And we wound up here for a month on a survey trip. And I just had a terrible experience. And at the same time, the Lord confirmed in just a number of ways, this is where I want you. And and honestly, for the next five or six years until we, we moved here, I dreaded moving here. Um, but felt like uh, I just I almost didn't have a choice. I knew the Lord had was asking uh, us to move here. And it wasn't because this place gave me lots of warm fuzzies. Um, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense or not.
2: Totally. Unfortunately, um, my wife and I were in ministry and, uh, when we were supposed to go on our, the planning trip, you know, kind of see what the the lay of the land is and see if this is where God's wanting us to take a church. Um, we had a, a massive, uh, health crisis for the two of us, um, immediately. So we didn't even get to go on the vision trip because we were stuck back, unable to even go and see. And we just still said, okay, well, that was awful. Um, I guess God's still calling us there. So I I share in your the weirdness factor.
1: Yeah. It sounds like you can.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Dave, so you are on the Ephesiology podcast and uh we have been discussing this book, Ephesiology, Study of a Movement, uh, that will be coming out sometime next year. And um One of the big things about this book is going all the way back to the church that we see uh, in Ephesus and that God is uh, revealing to us this is kind of how a movement both gets started and how it continues. Um, In his book that is forthcoming, uh, Michael talks about um, how movements are, the process goes from launching a movement, grounding a movement, leading a movement, multiplying a movement, and sustaining a movement. This, these five steps are pretty critical. Uh, what Michael is talking about, launching a movement, it's it's absolutely rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in getting people to hear and know the good news of Jesus Christ, that he is not just the Savior of a few, but he is the Savior of the world. Right. He is our only hope. And then from launching a movement, it goes into grounding a movement. Uh, we keep pointing to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, that God's aim, that God's will is to unite all things in Him. And then based out of kind of grounding whatever movement God is starting in His glory and uniting all things into Him, then we kind of jump into leading a movement. What does it look like to lead if God's glory is your biggest focus? Uh, what does it look like to then lead people who have turned their lives over to Him? And then I I do feel that multiplying a movement and sustaining a movement logically are kind of Obvious, but Dave, I, I wanted to now lay that very large foundation to ask you: uh, Where do you feel uh, God is moving? Where on that pipeline do you feel um, the church or the churches that you work with are in Chad?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, looking at the the church from a Muslim background, if uh, if you go back, say ten years, there was a group of maybe four or five people uh, in the capital, maybe four or five people in another town, and beyond that, not a whole lot to speak of. If you fast forward today, uh, well, just a few years ago, it really wasn't too different, and and just in the last, oh, I would say a few years, it seems like. Um, it's at the very beginning stages of people coming to the Lord. And now just in its infancy, the beginnings of maybe a fellowship or two that are starting to take the form of what we might call a church. What
0: has uh, led up to that uh, process um, for now that you've seen, um, Dave, just like, is you're just starting to say like, man, we're just starting to see, what this looks like for potentially uh, the the formations of a church. Um, Talk about just the the centrality or just the the process that you've had to go through to begin to see those kind of early seeds now start to perhaps start to bloom.
1: Well, we in Chad, we got our start out in a a small town among an unreached people group with no known believers. And at first I I would always say that uh, prayer is a crucial part of that. And and we lived out there for three or four years and we saw a whole lot of nothing. And, <laughs> and one day we asked our, uh, our, amongst our team, we had, you know, we had this vision statement. We had these core documents. We had one of our core values was extraordinary prayer. And, and we asked ourselves, is what we're doing, would we call that extraordinary Um, we were getting together to pray at teams meeting at team meetings. We were getting together to pray at church and maybe another time or two, maybe doing some prayer walking. So two or three times a week. And we all agreed what we were doing was good, but I don't think we put the label extraordinary on there. And then we thought, well, what can we do? And I don't know if it's extraordinary or not, but we started to pray every day together. And, um, that's really, when we started to see uh, things happen, and for me, it, I I had to actually go through a bit of a valley before I was ready to say to spend my time that way. I um I was I'd read David Garrison's book in 2004 and just thought the world of it, and and in that prayer is, is a foundational aspect of it. But it was one of those things that I I knew was important, but I hadn't really implemented in my life um, as much. Um, and desire to even even more today. So going out to this this tribe and finding no one who is interested, I wound up getting angry with the, with the Lord and saying, "God, you brought us out to this place. We don't like it. I don't like my life. Throw me a bone here. Why why have you brought us out to this place and no one's interested?" And uh, and I found out that the Lord said nothing in return. It was a lot of silence. And it was in only his loving way, crushing that pride of me thinking, I'm going to start a CPM. I've got these, I've got these principles in place and we're going to do it. And I thank the Lord for that because he showed me that what's more important than starting a movement is knowing him simply. Mm. So him crushing me in that way, in only a way that he can, that, that rebuilds gave me not only a burden, but a desperation for prayer. And I would say that that is what has marked um, the people that we do ministry with is just this need. Anybody that works with Muslims, you quickly find out you can't change their minds, just like you can't change anybody else's <laughs> mind. So this, this task we've been given is just, a, it's an impossibility. Plan a church among Muslim people. I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, and. The starting point has to be prayer because evangelism is good without prayer. You, it, it doesn't have the power that it does, if that makes sense. Um, so the 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 most important thing, the most important aspect of why I think we're seeing people is because we're praying, we're praying individually, we're praying in groups, we're praying across denominational lines, we're praying across ethnic lines. And we're saying, we can't agree on all of this stuff. We can't even agree on a common church planning strategy, but we can agree to pray. And um, and I think the Lord is just so pleased with that, that he's saying, yes, now is the time.
2: Man, so this is really, it's super encouraging to hear. Um, you know, Like you said, you, you read in a book, this is what you're supposed to do. And then you read that book and you're like, cool. But it doesn't feel like it's alive. It feels like it's still theory. Um, it still feels like a almost like a should, but it's really nice being able to hear from somebody who is out there doing this work and saying, This is, this is not literally it's in a book. This is, this is what I need to breathe. This is what I need to do the ministry that I've been called to do. Um, how did you go about this? This is 100% awful as, as it comes across my mind. Uh, how much, how did you convince everybody else that this was something that they needed too? So, like I said, that sounds awful, but how did you go from, this is what I need to inviting others across those denominational lines, across those who kind of share a different vision for the area where everybody came together and said, yeah, we need to pray. Let's do this.
1: Well, actually, um, it's the the silver lining to Chad and you know, all those challenges. You, you also have. A history of the way the government changes here is one rebellion after another, which means people growing up have gone years without uh, school being in. We've got problems with the paved road outside of our house um, it has fallen apart and it's become a lake, literally. Um, oh, my goodness. So you've got things like this going on, and you just you just get desperate, and it's not worth it's not worth, um, if, you're, if you're a foreign worker, it's not worth living here. Um, there's nothing, like there's no beach, there's no fun thing to do uh, on the weekends, there's no mountains to climb, or at least we're around where we live. Um, it gets up to 110 degrees, and when it gets that hot because the city runs on generators, uh, the power goes off. <laughs> You just you get desperate. And it's the same thing with the local population. Imagine if you just didn't have a choice and you had to live here. Um, It's the beauty of it, of those hard things that drives you to the Lord, because you say, Lord, I don't have anything else. You know, it's kind of it's in a small way. It's like when Jeremiah was down in that cistern. He's stuck there and he knows he can't do anything. He can prophesy down there with anybody to hear him he can't get out of there and all he can say is lord help me i'm stuck and that's how we all feel um i think it it takes some time for people to to get there for that uh that newbie zeal to to wear off and then eventually if you do um by god's grace get to stay on the field if sickness hasn't taken you off or, or other reasons why for leaving the field and then you're like, okay, Lord. Well, what in the world am I doing here? If you're not going to work, it's not worth it. And I don't, I don't know how to describe it beyond just a, a God given desperation.
0: So I'm reminded. I'm just kind of looking at Ephesians one fifteen um, and uh, even sixteen, where Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And, and I'm just, as I'm hearing you talk um, and share this with us, uh, Dave, which I just so appreciate the vulnerability because I think I'm reminded that, you know, ministry and, and, and uh, missions work, but even beyond that, just even in our own, um, First world westernized cultures of sharing the gospel can be very difficult work, and the contrast is super helpful for us. And I think the picture of this is very a helpful reminder for all of us, even in our part of our global audience. But I think that's what drives us: is not only just our love for God, but even our love for others. So it's it's and ultimately our love for God draws us to a love for others. How has that shaped your your zeal to to remain in the game and to remain on the field?
1: Um, you know, Matt, um, there's a guy that worked with us particular people group here for about 10 years. And as he was leaving the field, he said, the more I get to know these people, the less I like them. And I, I'd say that's the case, um, here when you're, you're going cross-culturally, I feel like we, sometimes we live in opposite bills. So not, not morally speaking, but in terms of preference. So if I prefer to wake up quietly over a cup of coffee, my neighbors, uh, um, want to knock on my door early in the morning and say, hello, how did you sleep? Um, opposite things like that, that just rub you the wrong way. What this, what this worker was referring to is actually their, their kind of their sinful habits. Um, I guess my, what I'm trying to say is a lot of people, when they come to the field, they say something to the of I just love the people so much. And the reality is the people that were coming to serve are lost. They're broken. They're, there's not much to like a lot of times. Um, and I'm thankful for that in combination with, with, um, with Chad, not giving a lot of, a lot of love back in some, in some ways, it's a, it's a beautiful place in its own right. Um, but it's a hard place. It leaves you sometimes with nothing else except for the Lord. And then you have to wrestle with Lord, are you enough for me or not? When I can't placate my disappointment with things that I normally would if I were back in in my home country. Are you enough, Lord? And he is. And I I don't know of a a way to kind of circumvent that process um, without suffering. Um, It's one of those things where people, for example, back in the States, hard things happen for sure. Um, Very difficult things happen to some people, but not to everyone. And by contrast, hard things happen to everybody here in one way, shape, or form and it it's like this um oh, someone has told me it's like miracle growth for your sanctification. It's not that you're a great person in and of yourself, but it's these just to get out of our neighborhood actually in the rainy season right now um if it rains too hard then we're we're driving not only in four wheel drive but wondering are we going to flood our engine, so you just get desperate enough to where you you, you have a Kind of a relationship with the Lord during the day, like Lord, if you're not helping me out here,
2: we're We're stuck. Literally, we're (laughs) stuck.
1: Yeah. Um. So, and in the end, people disappoint, don't they? People that you think have, you know, have have had this faith and and they're growing, and then you find out something scandalous happens, and I guess increasingly, I I just find a lot of comfort in the Lord himself because he just doesn't change. He's that rock that, um, that you can rely on. You know, when you wake up, he's, um, he's the same. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but increasingly it's just, he's it. And, and knowing him ministry is kind of a byproduct of that. Honestly,
2: it seems like
0: then you are driven by a centered, Um, a, a total, um, devotion and, uh, complete focus on a love of God and Jesus. Is that what I'm hearing here? (laughs) I mean, this is, this is what drives you is this complete relationship with God and this, this complete desire to worship and to honor him with your entire lives in every aspect, uh, aspect of your life. It should,
1: Matt. (laughs) <laughs> uh, on a good day. It does. I tell you, we start, I start our day in family devotions and I say it in one way, shape or form, the Lord's prayer every day. Just, I don't, you feel like you just have to press the restart button every morning. You know, you have a great day the day before. And then <laughs> next thing you know, if you're living off of that, you find yourself doing something just boneheaded. Um, Yes. Yes, that's it. And on a good day, I say, "Lord, oh, I need you." And on a bad day, I forget, and He graciously reminds me.
0: What I love about that is a reminder too that um, it's it's real and it's raw. And I and I think that in this desire to feel to be motivated um, to join God in His mission um, to unite all things together under Christ, we realize that. Even in theory, even in practice, it is still a very difficult task, um, and and one that that draws us back to a total reliance upon the Lord.
1: Yeah, that's it. And you know what? Like when I was first coming to the field, I thought that the that the CPM in of itself would be fulfilling. I really did. And now, just to give you an example, on Sunday,
0: Dave. Please, sorry, just to interrupt. Yeah. Just so, just for our audience, we we've we've used the the phrase CPM before on the podcast, but just a reminder: it's uh, we're
1: talking about church planting movement, correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Or disciple making movement, DMM. Um, how
2: how would you define that? Again, we want to make sure everybody listening kind of is on the same page. How would you define church planting movements or disciple making movements of which you are about to talk about?
1: Uh, I'd like to keep the kind of a broad definition, but uh, a fellowship of of believers that are exhibiting signs of what a church is, and they are sharing their faith, and it is multiplying um, in numbers. and And those fellowships you have you have fellowships that are being birthed out of um, out of those. So it's a multiplication of disciples and and number, and also in, in terms of um it being church, you know, like um holding to the doctrines of the faith, the the Bible being this inspired word of God being our guide, having foundations of prayer, practicing baptism, communion, things like that.
0: Perfect. So um with that that kind of backdrop, you're starting to tell us about um you were coming out on the field and you thought CPM would be fulfilling within it uh um, even within itself.
1: Right. So there's a guy here. He's just come to the Lord in, um, in March or April. And this this is I love this story so much because it just flies in the face of like what people typically think is like good strategy um, or so, sometimes anyway. So it was a short term guy that came out. He taught a, like a little two week English class to people that were beginning learning English. And at the end, he gave his testimony. And I, I guess somebody translated for him. And he handed out New Testaments. Simple enough. It was a total of like a three-week class, so you know, like nothing super special. Well, one of the guys that was in his class, he had just moved there six months before. His family originally was from Chad, but because of political reasons, he grew up outside of Chad. Came back, was working in this place where this this short-term guy was was uh, teaching this English class. Got a hold of the Bible, and it just rocked his world, and it totally. Changed his life. As he's reading the Bible over the course of two or three weeks, uh, he's seeing visions of Jesus. Jesus is speaking to him in his dreams. Um, And by week three, I met up with him and he was ready to give his life to Christ. Fast forward to uh, this past Sunday, and uh, there are now 20 or so Muslim people meeting in his home in Jesus name and uh through three pretty amazing miracles uh now about 20 or so catholic background people meeting together in his home in Jesus name so <laughs> yeah so i didn't read that in my church planting strategy uh training like let's see if you can do like a, a muslim and catholic background mix um that one that one was surprising so one of these one of the uh, healings happened when he was just walking through a neighborhood, saw um, a crowd f- form. And it was because this lady, um, her, da- her daughter was sick and had a fever. And on top of that, she had not spoken for 19 days. Well, this fellow was like, hey, well, can I pray for you? And so she brought her daughter uh, to his house and he prayed for her for about half an hour. He said, I just prayed and prayed and prayed until I had nothing left to say. And after she, uh, after, after he stopped praying, she said, uh, Merci Tonton in French means thank you, uncle. And she can speak now. Um, they went back to, to their neighborhood and then about 30 or 40 people were just amazed and, and kind of like in the book of Acts, um, they started calling him this great prophet, you know, it kind of threw me back to Paul when, you know, they thought that he was a God and he was like, no, no, you're totally missing the point. Um, they're trying to throw money at him and, and calling him this great prophet. Um, the point being it took about 25 minutes to share this story. I was supposed to be getting food for the family, um, at this, at this restaurant. Meanwhile, they were listening to me on the phone for 25 minutes in the car and And as amazing as the story was to hear, I was thinking, I just got to get my family fed, you know. Um, And it was just a reminder, these things are wonderful and they're wonderful testimonies to the Lord, but they don't in and of itself um, fill us up. They just don't. They can't because it's the Lord himself is doing those things through those things. And they're just kind of manifestations of his character and they're not meant to fill us up. So, yeah, I think that's kind of what I mean. Man,
2: this is, uh, it's encouraging and it's amazing. And, and I am being reminded, Dave, as we're talking with you, that there is so much, um, both through church planting, movement, focus, or foci, um, discipleship making, movement. Uh, we all, me being chief among them, we all love our systems. We all love the the process that we're supposed to follow. Even as I opened, you know, we're looking at the, the movements that we see, and they kind of typically uh, follow the launching, grounding, leading, multiplying, sustaining pattern. And then God says, yeah, but then there's what I want to do. So how have you, you know, what's maybe an example or another story where you have seen God kind of obliterate what you thought was the appropriate process to bring glory to his name and establish his kingdom?
1: Yeah. And yeah, something comes to mind, but let me first uh, just, yeah, preface this. I love strategy. I love thinking through this. My personality just kind of lends itself to it. I actually just took a personality test today and uh, my top, you know, kind of gifting was strategy, right? So There we go. Yeah, I know, right? Whether I am or not, um, at least I think I am. But a test says um, it, so it's true. <laughs> that's right. It's like a, it's a, it's an official document. Um, and, and increasingly, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, so we were in this small town and I've, we found out that there's a uh, a guy and his, his, actually his family had moved, had moved there and he seemed kind of open. So um, I got him a Bible and a week later I visited him. I had about a two hour, four hour conversation with him and at the end um he said wow okay well i wasn't going to tell you this but i'm going to tell you this now i had a dream a couple of years ago and uh and you were in it and um i said wow i that's you know kind of a a big load to to share with me there i don't know if i'm that guy in your dream or not and i said let's just pray about it and so we did and then 3 days later he knocked on my door and and he had some questions and he said uh, what does the bible say about um prayer and fasting and is jesus lord so we opened up matthew we looked at the answers to those questions and he said okay that's all true and um my wife and i we've been talking about this we've been reading the bible and we know it's all true so we're christians now <laughs> <laughs>
2: if
0: only
1: <laughs> what are you what are you talking about it's not the way this is supposed to be i'm supposed to like convince you or something and uh, it was just obvious that the lord had brought them there. It was such low hanging fruit. I could have butchered the Arabic language that I was using. I could have just stumbled over everything. And it was obvious these people were going to come into the kingdom of God because the Lord had prepared their steps literally years in advance. And it was just a reminder to me that this is God establishing his kingdom. In one sense has very little to do with us. And in another sense, for, for God only knows why, he loves to use us in the process. And it's so tempting to want to rely on form or strategy or whatever it is, rather than the Lord himself, because we can control those things to an extent. And by contrast, if the Lord is calling somebody, we, we wait and we ask him. We use prayers of supplication and we say, Lord, when are you going to do this? please come do this. And when we see people come to the Lord, it's because he's doing it on his own, on his own terms, on his own time. And it has very little to do with, Oh, in the case with this guy, the, this guy recently, um, because of my other responsibilities, I wasn't getting out of the house and doing local ministry as nearly as much as I was before. And in my prayers, I was saying, Lord, what am I doing? This is not why I came to the field. And yet he chose to use a short term guy on a five week trip here and me who hardly some days has opportunities to, to get out and, and minister to Muslims to shepherd this guy into the kingdom. And now he's the one that's was, he's just meeting with a guy today that has said that um, he he's heard what's uh, the persecution he has gone through and he wants to be a, a believer as well. So you just can't really make this stuff up. I I just increasingly get the conviction that the Holy Spirit, just like we don't know, like with the wind, where it comes from, where he's going, we don't know what he's doing. Um, But what we do know is when we're talking with the God, with the Lord, pleading with him, he listens and he answers the way he wants to.
0: Dave, this is... Uh, you know I, I think so often um, stories like this and your experience flies in the face and you were already saying it being a westerner who loves strategy um <laughs> I mean it's this is something that just flies in the face of everything that we tend to read or want to lean into and yet we're reminded again that this is I mean you just said it God's plan it has very little to do with us and I'm hearing your story as you're talking about this and it seems like man, there's still an activity, there's still a participation, there's still an involvement that we have, um, a participation with God and his Holy Spirit um, in the field or anywhere he sends us, um, and yet he's at work, yet it's he who, before the foundations of the world, uh, uh, chooses us um, to, for faith in him. And it, there's also, even in your leadership, it seems like that there's just this releasing others to do the ministry. I mean, just the sharing, the story of the healing that you were sharing a little while ago of you weren't even involved in that process. And yet here you have somebody else uh, is already now performing these other, I mean, you know, praying and asking Jesus to perform these miracles. And it's coming about. How I mean, that's got to be. I mean that just it flies in the face so much of I think of what we feel like we we feel that this onus that is our responsibility as people, as Christians, as followers, as ministers, as pastors. Um can you can you speak more to that?
1: Yes. Um well and so just to give you an example, that first couple, the, the couple that I mentioned that were just they were ready to become Christians right away, um, they were over at our house one time and and he was sharing i he said I, I still go to the mosque because I'm living in this compound with this really fundamentalist guy who employs me, and I just have to go even though i don't I don't want to and um earlier in that conversation, his wife had said, "You should come visit us sometime and and this man said, You know it's probably not a good reason for this this, this, and this and they were all good reasons, so what's your church planning strategy there? Do you say Okay, you know what? Yeah, you should be patient. You should just go along and then when you find, you know, opportunities to maybe share something that's great or you should say, "No, you need to get out of the mosque right away and you need to allow us to come." Well, there's a third alternative and it's let's just pray about this. Rather than trying to control the situation, trying to control the believer and inadvertently stepping into the place of the Holy Spirit's rule, by God's grace, I said, let's just pray about it. And so we prayed about it. And at the end of that prayer, this grown man was in tears. And he said, What I said was wrong. My wife was right. You come and visit us anytime you want. And in the case with, with this guy that is uh, healing people, he's, he, he went to the hospital with three of the people that he's, he's led to the Lord. Um, so these are Muslim background people. They're going into this hospital. And they're praying for Catholic people that are there. Uh, one person had this skin disease all over his body for two months and they prayed for him. And then three days later, uh, this guy got a call and said, I've been healed. And now he brought four other people to this group. Um, he waited to go to the hospital until he felt the Lord leading him to do that. And just today he said, Um, this other group of people, they've asked me if I would go to the hospital. And my only recommendation was just pray about it. And you know, like you did before you waited on the Lord and see what happened when you waited on the Lord. That's what you need to do also. And on top of that, he wasn't getting much sleep at all. So my role was to say, you know what? You're driving yourself into the ground. You're not terribly coherent right now because you're not getting enough sleep. You need to sleep. So (laughs) i I didn't anticipate that being part of the discipleship process, you know. Like, pace yourself. You're running on adrenaline. Um, that's very guess spiritual
2: that's, of you to say rest.
1: It's good. I know. Yeah, I know. Right. It didn't sound like that way at the time. It maybe probably came off a little harsher too. But um, yeah. But the point is, I think uh, it's super easy to want to try to control the situation and want to see it the way you want to. And when we do that, we risk taking over for the Holy spirit. And when we do that, how's that going to play out? Right. It's a, it's not going to play out anywhere um, close to the way that the Lord wants it to. So that's kind of, kind of my rule of thumb. If they're not doing something heretical, um, then asking them to trust the Lord and get his leading. And at the same time, continue, go back to the word. We were just talking about communion yesterday when we met. So introducing these elements of church because they, they honestly don't know what that is. Uh, And so being in the word and grounding it in the word and at the same time, allowing the Holy spirit to do what he wants. So.
2: Okay. So you just mentioned this and and this is super exciting to talk to you as, uh, as God's working. And I say again, in and through you, or in, as you've already shared, in spite of you uh, constantly. Um, but as you're gathering these brand spanking new believers, what are you finding are, these are the most important practices, these are the essentials and making sure that believers have um in starting their new faith. What are some of those practices and what are some of those uh theological elements or even like a missiological theology? What are some of those
1: things? Well, I can tell you that this this guy has set the pace for his group in prayer and reading of the word. So to give you an idea of what they do, and he this is not something I ever mentioned. This is just what he kind of came up with and he's like, "Is this okay?" So they meet on two times during the week, one day, is Sunday, another, and then another during the week. These 40 people, they come together, and for two hours, they read the word and pray in Arabic. And then for two hours, they read the word in French and pray. And they do that two times a week. They're also in the process of praying for a woman who has AIDS. Morning and evening, she's coming. She's desperate. Morning and evening, they're praying for, her and on uh, at the end of the week, she's going to go to the hospital and get tested. And I and who knows, the Lord knows what's going to happen. So that's not something that I have. That wasn't an idea I came up with. That's the Holy Spirit's leading, but it's it's grounded in prayer and the Word. The one thing that I will say that, um, early on I shared with this guy was, if you're going to follow Christ, you will suffer. And if you try to hide your faith, it will kill your faith. Um, So just, there's just so many passages, you know, like in in Acts, um, through many trials and tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. In Romans 8, that we're, uh, the Holy Spirit confirms that we're children of God. And if children, heirs with God, heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we also might be glorified with him. Uh, many other passages about suffering. It's a guarantee. It's not a, it's not a, you might do this. And I've seen whether it's in the Middle East or here, uh, people come to the Lord. And then um, the way that we disciple those people, sometimes if it's just one person, it's often, often like a single guy and we meet with them secretly. And what we're inadvertently teaching them is it's okay to believe in your heart and in your, in your head, but outside it's okay to be outwardly ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we inadvertently do as Westerners because we're individual individualistic minded. Um, and we're so excited to meet with somebody who's, who's professing belief, but then they don't, don't actually do that with, within their own context. Um, it kills their faith. It stunts it. And you don't, it, it's a, it's one of those CPM killers. Um, not sharing your faith, not being bold. Um just to give you an example of what happens when you do share your faith. This guy just came to the Lord that's leading this group. Uh a couple of weeks ago, his boss just insisted that he do uh afternoon prayers, Muslim prayers. And he said, he said, Dave, I just got tired of just hiding that. I had not I had not said, you know, you need to to go out and and tell your boss that you're a believer ASAP. I just said, you know what? Just let the Holy Spirit lead you in the right time to do that. It's got, you need to do it, but let the Holy Spirit lead you. And he said, I got tired of doing of just going on and um, letting him believe I was Muslim, even though he was openly reading his Bible every day, hours a day in the shop. And uh, when he did, his boss called his uncle. His uncle came, beat him, Tore up his Bible, threw him, to j- threw him in jail. Sounds like, oh man, that was terrible advice, right? Well, during that time while he was in jail, he heard the, the voice of Jesus speak to him. And then a couple of days later, his uncle got a disease that caused his arms and his neck to swell up, and he's in the hospital. And same thing with his boss. And they are asking his forgiveness because they realize it was a rebuke from the Lord. And he's meeting with a guy today because he heard what had happened to him in his job and how he got mistreated because he's a Christian and now this guy wants to join the fellowship.
0: That um, is unbelievable.
1: This is insane. <laughs> that
0: that, that yeah. is unbelievable.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's it's just, you know, being faithful in the little stuff, but you know like these uncomfortable passages it says if you, you know, like Jesus says if you deny me, I'll deny you. And we have to take those things so seriously and it's it's easy to do that. Easier to do that in the States because there's so little to lose. And here, this man has lost. He came from a rich family. He lost it all. His father has rejected him and said, I don't even know you. I don't want you as a son anymore. He lost his job. He was saving money. His boss was saving his paycheck um, and had months of salary saved up. And his boss just kept it. His boss took his computer, stole it. His uncle beat him. So he's lost his health, his family, his job. What else does he have? And you know what he said? I do it all again because I have Jesus. I'm rich and I don't want this other stuff. I want Jesus.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: And if I, if I had encouraged him just to be a secret believer, he wouldn't have this rock solid faith. It's the ironic thing that it's the, it's the trials and tribulations that galvanize faith. Um, if, if you know Nick Ripkins' books, um, The Insanity of God, I heard him speak last year and he, he gave this really not so fun fact about these people that are persecuted, rock solid faith in prisons, whether it's in China or Russia or somewhere in the Muslim world. They wind up moving to the States and nine out of 10 of them, 10 years later, aren't walking with the Lord. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, you know I've heard a
0: I've heard a similar story too, where um, uh, boy, I can't remember where i I heard this recently, so I'm uh, forgive me for not having the proper quote here or the source, but I just a, a similar story where I felt like uh, those in uh, South Asia um, were sending um, their they were doing pastoral training. they're trying to send them back to the United States to receive um, theological training only to return then back to the field and into their communities. And they realized that once they got to the United States, they're like, oh, like the suffering was over. There was no suffering for the gospel and they, they wouldn't return. Um, so they got tired of sending people, all their all their best people away and not coming back to the field. Um, so they've, they've had to set up their own kind of seminaries and things like that in their communities. Um, I... You know, I'm hearing this theme from you, Dave. Choosing to follow Christ, you're going to suffer. And if you hide it, it's going to kill your faith. Not sharing your faith is a killer in a movement. Uh, I mean, what would you say to the believer? What would you say to the pastor, um, the, the, the Christian leader, the one who's like, I want to honor the Lord. I want to see movements begin again in my communities. But what would you say to the person who doesn't want to suffer?
1: I guess I'd encourage them to read their Bible and, um, it's, it's one thing I guess I'd ask the question is it because you don't realize that it's in the Bible, in which case if you get to point them to how it's just, it's all over the new Testament and the old Testament. Um, and then it's another thing if they don't want to, and they know it's true, um, the admission that you're scared, I get that. And I would just encourage people to be honest with the Lord and ask them for the the faith to do it. Um, I can't say that I particularly enjoyed it. My, our first couple of years in Chad were, uh, terrible. Both my wife and I at different times wished that we could die literally like, you know, Oh, if I got in a car wreck. That'd be great. Cause I'd be in eternity. And except I knew that, that she would be mad at me because I was the one that got to go and she didn't <laughs> and vice versa, you know? So I'm not, I'm not trying to like glorify all that's such a wonderful process. It, it hurts. It's nobody likes it. Um, and at the same time, we just see it all over. I mean, think about what Paul went through. Um, we love the the amazing stories and acts, but you know, who, who wants to be stoned almost to the point where everybody thought you were dead? Um, we, we want the results. We don't want the process. That's right. And we just, there's just not a way around it. You can't circumvent the process with clever speech or clever programs or clever strategy or fill in the blank.
0: I think that's really, um, I mean, I think we've, we've had this conversation before and as we see it as, especially uh, again, we're, we're Westerners having this conversation, looking at what is happening around the world and And wanting to see a move of God take place again. And yet I think we have been so um, accustomed to not suffering. I mean, everything within our Western culture is built around the lack of suffering, the avoidance of suffering. And um, from our consumeristic, individualistic um, societies um, and culture, to, um, the level of healthcare to, um, I mean, all of these things at which we do are based on our comforts. And I mean, just hearing you describe life in Chad, well, I mean, just from the day to day, like electricity may go out at any moment, the rainy season produces a a physical lake outside my door, um, (laughs) you know, to, to those simple things to even the more spiritual, difficult things of life um, to the point of even being rejected and putting your own life in danger, um, it adds a whole new level to what it means to suffer, much of which we don't fully comprehend and understand. And I, and I think I, I wonder if, if this is one of the, the crucial elements to um, seeing a movement um, thrive and begin to form. Is this understanding that there will be suffering? Uh, it, I mean, it sounds like Dave that you're seeing this, and that you would you would it sounds like you would say that to be true.
1: I think it is. Yeah, absolutely. I, Jesus, you know, it's just remarkable how he just he's so black and white. Sometimes, sometimes he's you know super mysterious, and, um, and but you know, like the first will be last, last will be first. Take up your cross and follow me it's really simple language, but, and you, and you think about it, well, you know, maybe it just means like picking up something heavy, you know, you kind of have a hard day, you know, but <laughs> like bring up this device to kill yourself every day, every day, you got to do it. Pick up your cross every day, follow me and do it. And what that means is when somebody says, are you a Christian and you know that you're going to lose everything you say, yeah, I am. And then you lose it all, and you see how the Lord provides for you. And by contrast, there's a guy, I was there's another believer that um, he was just uh, kidnapped, and his father, um, the people that kidnapped him, has, uh, was doing it on behalf of his family because he's become a believer. And his father said, um, you can bring him back to me if he becomes a Muslim again, but if he's not, then just kill him. And For some reason, they didn't want to kill him, but they left him. They didn't give him water for three days, and they left him out in the desert, literally. And before they left him, this young believer said, Can you just shoot me? Please just shoot me. Don't leave me out here to die a slow death. And they didn't, they left him. And as the Lord would have it, out of nowhere, this military truck found him and saved him. Um, This same guy that has endured all kinds of hardship. was with another believer that I know. And this guy has been a secret believer for, oh, going on 20 years maybe. And, and this secret believer said, you know what? You can, you, can, you can have your faith and not suffer for it. And it was just like a slap in the face to this guy who's lost everything for the sake of Christ. And if you, and if you look at this guy who's, who says that you can live that way and not suffer, He has nothing to show for himself. And in fact, his family doesn't even know that he's a Christian. 20 years. And this is the case for a lot of Muslim background believers. Um, They've lived their lives for a decade or more, and they still haven't told anybody about their faith. And they've got issue after issue in their lives, and they have nothing to show for themselves, really. And by contrast, these folks that have been walking with the Lord for six months or a year or two years they've lost all and you see character that's built in their lives a love for the lord that you don't see in these guys that have been walking with the lord for you know sometimes 10 times longer
0: it seems like uh, just as like until you've been on that side until you've gone through those trials and you're able to come out the other end it, it's it it feels almost impossible but to share the story of this man who was left out in the desert and rescued. And then for somebody to recommend to him, like, you don't have to endure that again. Um, There's a way out. Yeah. It, I mean, that does feel like a slap in the face, doesn't it? Um, The summit feels like, wow, I can, you know, I can eat the cake and have ice cream and (laughs) not gain a single pound, you know? Uh, I mean, wow. I mean, just, just how, how, how amazing that is. And for him to have the, the faith to, to say, yeah, no, that's, that's not the way this is going to go for me. Um, that's not the life I'm going to choose.
1: That's it. You know, think about like if somebody came to your fellowship and started preaching, um, the health and wealth gospel, how repulsive that would feel, you know, like yeah, By following Christ, you will get rich. It's like that. You don't have to suffer if you follow Christ. Your life is going to be great. You get salvation, all that stuff. You get to know Jesus and you get to keep everything you had before. For, I think for the people here, there's just like, no, that is, that's just not true. Well,
2: uh-huh. how much in the American church that actually kind of is what we're doing. And so I, I'm sitting here a little bit condemned and uh, I'm doing a lot of listening to you. I'm, Dave.
0: I'm, I'm sitting, I'm sitting here very condemned, but go on, Andrew.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Like I'm just, it, there's moments of repentance and uh, just kind of asking. So you, you draw this comparison between the guy who has sacrificed, not just on paper, literally, has sacrificed everything but his life, even though he wanted to, God spared him. And somebody else saying, hey, you don't, you don't have to suffer like that. You don't have to give it all up. Like you can still be a Christian. And we, I'm hearing you, and I don't know how many others, when you know, once we air this podcast, are going to be like, oh, yeah, like that mean other secret Christian, like, how dare he? How could he not see that? But I'm feeling that most of us in the American context are probably falling in the camp of that secret Christian by our actions. Like on a day to day, week to week, how do we live our faith? You are using this story analogous to what does it look like to be honest with your faith and share it with others? That you know that you see that you've got to tell people about the goodness of Jesus and what he does, and how many of us in the American church fall into the camp of the other secret Christian and saying, Well, I'm a I'm a Christian, but I don't need to tell anybody about it. Like I don't have to actually go and go out and, you know, actually tell people Jesus is the only way. And if you don't have him, you will die. Um, I don't know, man, like Dave, I'm just, I'm reflecting here and I'm just saying this is hitting me square between the eyes, right in the heart. And again, emboldening me to call my brothers and sisters that this is worth it he is worth it and we can't be silent we can't
1: yeah that's it and and to be honest i um i didn't realize how ingrained it is especially growing up in the states until i moved here there are these things that i almost thought were like my fundamental rights as a human being um And then I moved here and I found out actually they're not. And it it was almost like woven into my Christianity. Like I have a right to electricity. I have a right to, for uh, authorities not to treat me unjustly. Um, And growing up as a, as a white dude in the States, you know, I wasn't on the wrong end of um, police brutality and all that stuff. So it was these things that I have grown up in it and it just kind of just subtly become these underlying values. Like I shouldn't have to deal with that. I shouldn't have to be um, mistreated in that way. Um, I shouldn't have to have these things taken away. And then moving here, it wasn't because I was a better person, right? It was just those things got taken away. And all of a sudden I'm, I was realizing that there, there are these crutches that my happiness was at stake. In the States, what does that look like? I don't know. Maybe it's for some people being bold and talking about Christ means that you come across as looking like not, not very cool or not very smart or close minded, or maybe your comfort is at stake. And the expectation is that other people will be bringing in and and it's great stuff. But often the prayer that I hear, and I increasingly, I don't don't want to say it too judgmentally, but I, I kind of hate this prayer when people hear about stories like, like these guys, and then they say, you know, pray for them. And they say, Lord, thank you for the freedoms that we have here. In other words, thank you that you love us more because we don't have to go through that crap. And, and it's like, you're, you're, you 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 do not get it. You're missing out. These, these guys, it's brought, it's bringing them closer to Jesus. They're knowing him more. They're closer to the kingdom because of it. And because we don't have those things, we're missing out. And it's just, it's so hard to convince when you've got Amazon, anything you could need at a click. I mean, who's not subject to that temptation? When you've got amazing roads and hospitals and you can get any kind of fruit that you want, probably somewhere in town you live in any time of the year. I mean, just incredible things. The standard of living that we have in the States, like you just have to go out of your way to do something that is uncomfortable. And it's hard because nobody is taking away your power when you shouldn't have it. Nobody's, cops aren't pulling you off on the side of the street just to give you a hard time. There aren't these reminders. It's There's just such an easy, comfortable flow that we all get into. And we have to make these conscious choices to do what is against that. And I I sympathize. I, the times I feel like I'm the least reliant on the Lord is when we're back on home assignments honestly. And I love Chad in that there are things that just remind me every day that I need him. Whereas I don't always feel that way in the States, honestly.
0: There, there is so much, I feel like we continue to uh, understand as we kind of look at our own culture and look at our own life that we realize is not neutral and it has this impact and this effect as to how we relate to God in the context of community with him and with others um, that you're helping us expose even more. So Dave, which I'm so grateful for. Um, Cause I too, like Andrew, I'm just like, Whoa, man, I am just convicted once again and Just really thinking about where, where do I place these, va- the value of these things? I mean, I'm hearing you talk about when we talk about grounding a movement, we talk about grounding it in the word. We talk about grounding it in prayer. We talk about grounding it in faith. And, and even within that, you're reminding us that it involves risk taking and suffering um how do we balance um this cuz this is now the the western way of thinking so i'm going to ask it as a total american how do we balance this from the perspective of are are you are you calling us to give up everything are you asking us to live in cardboard boxes are you suggesting we should give up all of the things that we have built uh for the sake of the gospel like how would you balance that or how do you do you get into these conversations with people who then will want to kind of go to the other extreme and say, wait, are you calling me to live this particular way or is it more state of mind? Um, what's your, what's your response to that?
1: Uh, well, actually the kind of people I deal with are, are workers that are um, very idealistic and sometimes they say, Hey, I'm giving up everything, right? So you think, Oh, a missionary, he's, leave-, you know, he or she's leaving their home context and they say like, I want to live like the people. I don't want to have these things that are, you know, like a barrier to the gospel that that people don't have. Um, So it's actually kind of I'm dealing with the kind of the opposite thing. And what's ironic is um, on the field, we often think, oh, that's the key to the gospel. Live like the people. Well, there's a funny story about this. uh, This woman that went and lived in a village in in Southern Chad and she lived like the people. She didn't have any furniture in her hut and this kind of thing well, one day the village chief brought her a chair and uh, said, please accept our chair. It's shameful for us to have a white person in our village who doesn't have any furniture. So the, the thing that <laughs> the thing that you think is going to be the key, having nothing isn't anything and having everything isn't anything. You know what I mean? It's just, you can fall off on either side of that horse. I guess the bottom line is, what what is your, where's your heart going? And if, if your heart's going to, constant Amazon purchases, then yeah, maybe you need to take a break from that. Or is your, your, you know, is it in whatever it is? I don't know. But the key is not in, in, um, giving up any, everything. I think with people that have, you know, kind of taken the approach, I've given up everything. Actually what they've given up is also being generous because those things you have, you can be a blessing to people. And actually that's how most chatting people, uh, feel like, why would you, Give up everything if you have this stuff, because then it means you can't be generous to us who don't have anything, uh, if that makes sense. So that's, yeah, I think what I'm not trying to say is um, live in a cardboard box. That in and of itself is not fulfilling. Um, I think what I am saying is um, where are those things that the Lord's challenging you to? You know, those little, those little niggling feelings, those little nudges, start there and pray. And what I would also just, this is a little bit off topic, but it's 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 a little bit of a soapbox for me in terms of like prayer meetings. Um, I don't know that we know how to really pray in most evangelical churches. So the, the prayer meetings I've been a part of, this is what happens. It's from, you know, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m., whenever it is. You get together um, and you talk about your prayer request for 45 minutes. Then you pray for 10 minutes and then you say goodbye for five minutes and and that's it. Then you've prayed for a total of 10 minutes. Um, That's not praying that much. Why why would, like, what do you want to see happen? You want to see lost souls come to Lord or you want to see all of your, you know, your problems with cancer, this, that, and the other ailments go away. Um, What do you really want? And if you really want to see people come to the Lord, then let's design prayer times together that are, it's sacrificing our time and maybe our comfort during the week, but it's prioritizing that and saying, Lord, I want this even more than I want the other stuff. And when I don't want it, Lord, help me because it's scary. I want to want this more than I do. Um, But having real times of prayer where you just meet and you get into it and you pray for an hour and the prayer requests come out as you're praying rather than spending all that time talking about praying, just getting into praying and figuring out ways to, to get the body of Christ in different places during the week and letting that be like, that's what is driving what happens after that. Um, And not just having it be this individualistic thing, my quiet time. I don't think the Lord has designed us that way. I think we're designed to get encouragement and fellowship in the Holy spirit in the context of groups, so how can we do that? Um, we're the most individu- individualistic culture in the history of the world, so how do we fight against that? And in the context of Christian community, um, pray in the kingdom of God.
0: Wow, that is a, yeah the most individualistic culture in the history of the world. I think it's quite a condemnation, but also one I think is helpful for us to realize that yeah we, the, we are facing new challenges that we have never faced before as a people and um and the quite and the lord is testing our faith in that and so often it's internally within our own self isn't it
1: yeah that's right yeah on a on a bad day on a good day that rugged individualism is the stuff that um i honestly i think there are there are a lot of americans that are working among unreached people groups because they've got that rugged individualism and the lord knows so I, what i don't mean to do is bash American culture. I think the Lord has made America with all its complexities and all of its funny quirks for his good purposes and he has a, a role for us to play both in our in in the States and abroad. Um and at the same time, that's just gonna be a natural blind spot for all of us. Oh, I'll just I'll just do this thing alone rather than saying, We need to do this together. If we're gonna see something happen, I need you and you need me.
2: Mm. I think there's two things well, the very first thing that popped on my mind. Uh was like, okay, so if we are the most individualistic culture ever, hey, we're still the best at something, right? Anyway, that's not a good thing. Um and then (laughs) I feel I feel proud to be the best at something. Um, but the second thing is I really appreciate that what you're what you're drilling in on because for Matt and I and the rest of our American brothers and sisters who are gonna be listening to this, um, there is very much a a beating up of yourself. And as we hear this, we're going to be like, oh, that does describe me. Oh, that describes my context. Oh man, that is so my mindset. And so then our response then is to try to rid ourselves of our Americanism, uh, to rid ourselves of everything that we think uh, kind of just makes us who we are because of where we are from. And I appreciate the encouragement from you to say, you probably aren't going to be able to become not American, um, but confess to the Lord, turn over to the Lord all that you are and allow him to work in and through how he has made you, how he has built you. Uh, so for those of us who are Americans, it's not a sin to be American. It's a sin to be individualistic, to put our wants and our needs above any and all others, and to seek comfort above his glory. Those are the sins that we need to confess. And then to allow our context and our giftings and our skills, abilities, talents, finances, all of that be turned over to him for his good, for his glory, for his name. Would you say, as I'm reflecting, does that sound close to kind of the sentiment on what you're putting forward?
1: Yeah, Andrea, I say amen to that. Um, There's nothing to be apologetic about for the passport country you come in. I mean, it's not exactly like we had a choice, right? Um, The Lord knows what he's doing and having us growing up where we are. And I think about the remaining unreached peoples in the world. I think of places like Chad they are hard places. They're off the grid. And you know what? One of the things that has been built into American culture, which you find in very few other cultures in the world, is homeschooling. Now, I'm not like a super homeschooling advocate. Don't get me wrong. My kids are in a school um, currently. We're not homeschooling. But because we have that in in American culture, and it's really developed, it means that American families can go and live in these far out places where there is no suitable school with their kids that are of school age. By contrast, lots of other near culture um, workers that would maybe be at more natural uh, cultural fit. They can't do it at this stage um, in, in the context of, of their educational society because homeschooling isn't a thing. That even includes uh, most of Europe, um, almost all of Africa and Asia. So you're basically um, limited just to a small handful of countries that have the cultural value and background and and skills to keep a family with school age children in unreached places. So that's just an example of like the Lord knows what he's doing and he can still use us and he wants to use us in unique ways. And there's nothing to be ashamed about in that way
2: you just made me feel better about kind of homeschooling my children. So thank you. (laughs) Great.
0: You know, and I, there's something to be said about um, there is a, like we, Andrew, this is your phrase that you always use on this podcast, but that is what's not throw the baby out with the (laughs) bathwater. And so I feel like that even just in that sense, there is a realizing that we're not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. There is actually Um, There is some value and there is value and uh, to what we have seen in our particular Western context in the American culture that actually allows us to further God's mission in other ways and in other means. And uh, a phrase that I'm starting to use more of is we need this new imagination for ourselves. We need a new imagination, a new paradigm to which we Uh, Begin to see the furthering of God's kingdom exist and utilizing some of the tools, some of the uh, uh, even maybe the first world uh, um, comforts or things that, that we have available to us for that very purpose. And Dave, you just articulated one of them that, I mean, I, I never would have even realized, but yeah, I mean, what a wonderful gift that, that homeschooling has been able to allow us to do so that we can go and live in other places or have a little bit more freedom where maybe that's even possible, uh, especially when you've got um, m- missionaries who are um, have children, right?
1: Yeah, that's it. There's there's a gazillion others. Another example is, is social media. Uh, social media, again, right. a a bad rap, right? But the way that it's being used around the world is catching, is casting these evangelical gospel nets over millions of people. You'll never be able to touch yourself in person. And then you find who's interested and then you can follow up with them. And those are amazing things. And I'm, and of course that's not just uh, unique to, to the United States, but um, these things that are culture has produced, the Lord knows what he's doing. And he loves to use, um, just as the enemy loves to use them for terrible purposes, the Lord loves to redeem them um, and use them for his good purposes.
0: Yeah. Amen. Amen. Dave, this has been such a challenging and yet encouraging conversation with you today. I'm so glad uh, that you had a
1: chance to join us today. Hey, it's a blessing to, to talk with you guys and it's been fun. Yeah, thank you, Dave. I feel I feel blessed. I feel humbled, and I
2: feel convicted. But it's not your fault. It's the Holy Spirit.
1: Amen.
0: <laughs> well, with that, Dave, we're just again, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and just for our listeners, we we want to invite you to continue this conversation with us by being part of our community. Man, if you've uh, felt like uh, there, there's just some things that maybe the Lord or the Holy Spirit's been tugging on your heart in this com- in this conversation. We would love for you to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Here's some of the things that you're thinking about, processing through. And uh, what does this mean for you, your life and your ministry context even? Um, We invite you to be part of our community at aphysiology.com you can get exclusive content, early access to the podcast, and even learn more about our laboratory and uh, what we're trying to achieve through the laboratory uh, and and seeing movements start to take place and reignite movements uh, here, not only in the West, but also globally. And, um, also too, uh, we're, uh, building a podcast for a Q and a session. So if you've got questions, uh, we'd love to get those answered. So be sure to send them to us. Uh, so you can connect with us on our physiology.com also through the Facebook page, send us a questions there. We'd love to connect with you through Facebook as well. And of course, as always, subscribe to the Physiology Podcast. Share this podcast with others, too. If you feel like, man, you got to hear the story from uh, Dave um, all the way out in uh, Chad and uh, share this podcast with your friends, uh, your, your ministry staff or your your elder team. Uh, others, those that, you know, uh, share this with them, get this into their hands and invite them as well to, to subscribe to the, the physiology podcast and engage with us in these conversations. You can do that on iTunes, Google play Spotify, however you'd like to get your podcasts. So with that, um, we are, uh, uh just for Andrew, Dave and myself, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time on the physiology podcast.